I'm going to kill one of your friends every 30 seconds starting now. I'll stop when you give yourselves up or I run out of prisoners. Hello and welcome to Spacefall. I'm Dave. I'm Richard. And this is episode two where we are talking about Spacefall. Yes, the episode (laughs) Spacefall. This episode was first broadcast in the UK on the 9th of January 1978. It's written by Terry Nation, as I guess we should say all of series one was. This one was directed by Pennant Roberts and it received 7.3 million viewers in the UK, which is exactly steady with The Way Back. Yes. Which is a good sign. Everyone who watched the first one came back for the second. So they came back for the second, they enjoyed it. What did we think of number two? This is the first one filmed, which is interesting because I think this is a very strong episode. It's actually a very pivotal episode too because it it introduces not only the Liberator, or the ship, sorry, at this point it's just the ship, and the character who will drive a lot of the series from now on, but I think this is great. Yeah, this is a really enjoyable adventure. The fact that it can be such an enjoyable adventure whilst, again, giving out huge amounts of exposition, world-building and setup, is just an incredible feat, and it's carried by the characters. Yes. In particular, one, who I think we'll spend a lot of time talking about. Yes, I think so. And unfortunately, it's a shame he's only in this one. It it is a shame, but yeah, it it is fantastic. So look, I think it's fair to say we're enjoying ourselves here. Richard, this is one you were allocated to lead us on, so what points have you got for us? Well, my initial note is there is a lot happening in this one. I mean, the big reveal in this episode, clearly, is the ship. Yes. Now, that actually comes at 36 minutes in. And that's really the third act, obviously, of the story. But it picks up immediately after the end of the way back. Because Blake's still looking sort of over his shoulder out the window. Yes. You notice, if you want to be nitpicky, that clearly the people and that and the seats have changed. But it then cuts to the crew. And this is perhaps where we'll start having our discussion, maybe, about the guest cast. Because it then cuts the crew running their flight checks. They're on the Civil Administration vessel London. Uh, which is clearly an older ship. It's obviously poorly maintained. The crew are not the elite of the Federation, shall we say. Yes. Leyland in particular is clearly a bloke. This is just where his career's dumped him. Because we meet, really, our three main guest cast at this point, we perhaps should spend a moment on them here, maybe. Captain Leyland, which is Glyn Owen. Look, he is an older man. He's obviously right at the end of his career, which I'm guessing probably stalled quite some time ago. I think that he has just wound up on these older ships just doing the, the, the grotty freight runs and the prison dumping runs, etc. Yeah, it's just a wage. Yes. He very much is going through the motions. He wants the prisoners heavily suppressed so they're docile, so clearly they're not going to cause him any trouble. You sort of have the idea that he's happy just to let Raker go as long as Raker doesn't bother him or he has to actually do something about Raker. But there are boundaries and limits within the ship. Much as we saw in the way back, there is a stratification here you know i don't know raker maybe needs leyland to sign off on his performance to get his pay or something perhaps because raker does have boundaries look leyland knows raker is obviously going to go and and start abusing the prisoners and in particular jenna but he tells him to be discreet it has to be within the whatever the acceptable boundaries are and let's say this actually is very reflective of the attitudes on those penal ships that came out to australia in 17 
87, 70, 80, yes. 80. Well, it is really because you're in an isolated environment. You have to have some level of authority or some form of structure. Otherwise, it just descends in anarchy. Yes. But Leyland, you sort of get the impression he's just waiting for a time. And I mean, the very first thing he does is delegate to Raker and then says, I'll be in my cabin. Yeah. In some ways, you wouldn't be surprised if he was a secret alcoholic or something. Um, <laughs> you know, he's just going in there just to get drunk. Yeah. Now, of course, we've mentioned Raker a few times and he really is the standout of the guest cast, I think, oh, yes. in this. Yeah. He... Well, I mean, he clearly is some form of psychotic, I think. He clearly enjoys standing over. He enjoys abusing the prisoners. There have been female prisoners on these ships before that he has clearly, well, raped, molested, whatever you want to call it. He gets a bit of pleasure at the start about, you know, standing over the prison, telling them, you have no rights, you are at my mercy. We can even execute you if you step out of line too badly. Yeah, he's a very good example of the sort of people that would start being weeded out of the UK police force in these sort of years to come. Yes. Who have just joined because they want the authority. They want to be able to beat up helpless prisoners. This is the sort of society that lends itself to somebody like Raker finding himself a very good niche where he can just indulge his psychotics. But again, you sort of get that idea of boundaries. I mean, he approaches Jenna and says, I can make things more, in inverted commas, comfortable for you. When she rejects him, it's not a case of he just drags her off. He strikes her and then says, you'll come round. You'll come round. I can be very persuasive. Yes. Which is an acknowledgement still, obviously, he still has to operate in some sort of framework. Yes. Interesting that there's a framework for molesting prisoners, isn't there? But um, Well, um, as I said, in the first fleet to Australia, a number of female prisoners arrived pregnant. So yes, true. Things happened. Yes, and again, when he encounters Blake and he has his little dramatic scene with Blake, the really the upshot of that is he really doesn't care. As, as long as Blake toes the line, is subservient to him, he may just survive the journey. Yeah, and that's what that scene is really all about. It's just about him establishing very clearly that he is the top dog yep. and Blake is on the bottom of the pile yep. and Raker doesn't really care who Blake is, what Blake's done, what Blake does. Even if the charges are false, he doesn't care. Yep, he doesn't care. As long as Blake knows that Raker is in charge and calls mm-hmm. him sir, then his world is okay. Yeah. It's interesting, actually, just one thing with that last little scene with Raker. That's the last time that Blake's charges of molesting children is mentioned. Sorry, spoilers, but it's not actually mentioned again. And, of course, the third member of our crew is Mr. Artix. Yes. Yes, as played by Norman Tipton, who is obviously young, he's quite inexperienced, but he clearly has some ambition. This is where he's been posted. He clearly has no intention of staying on old tubs like this. Yep, and he doesn't quite say it outright, but very clearly he's looking at Leyland and going, I don't want to grow up to be you. No. And they really are our only three guest casts. I have got a fourth one to mention later, but we'll do that later on. Yep. But the next really part of the episode, it's about reintroducing Blake, reintroducing the prisoners. Raker comes in and gives them his spiel. You know, this is the limit of your world from now on. And, of course, we start meeting some new prisoners. Yes. Now... One of which will maybe deal with Nova first. The sort of bright young man, or eager young man. Initially, look, it clearly is quite obvious that it's set up that in the early part of the episode he could potentially become one of the regulars. Yeah, so we should say at this point, Terry Nation does a lot of bait and switching with the audience in terms of who's going to be part of the final seven. So we know that Blake is presumably going to get seven people around him in some yes. form. The title kind of gives that away. I guess you could probably make a, an assumption perhaps at this stage about Villa and Jenna because they're the two that have carried forward into the next episode. That's but, right. 
so we can assume that they're probably going to be part of it. Yep. But Nova and Avon and Gan are all introduced here, and the assumption at the start of this episode would be, well, they're all going to be in the Seven as well. Yes, because let's face it, the rest of the prisoners, we're told they're doped up. They really have no speaking parts anybody else. These are our three speaking roles, so you're yeah. justified in thinking that they were going to carry forward. And Nova particularly clearly not idolises Blake, but he's clearly willing to accept Blake's leadership. Yes, and he wants to be a part of what's going on. Yeah. He makes the thing, you know, I haven't done anything yet, let me do something and help. Yeah. Interestingly enough, though, we're not actually told what Nova is on the ship for. No. Now, given that he doesn't look like the uh, violent criminal type... No, I wouldn't have thought so. And it's implied that he's not an Avon-style white-collar criminal. No, you're sort of left with something down the seedier end of the... um... Yeah, so we'll just leave that out there. Yeah. It's not explicitly stated, but I don't think that's an unreasonable conclusion to draw. Because, no. look, all these people are on the London for serious, serious crimes. crimes. So Nova isn't just, you know, somebody who didn't pay his parking fine or something. No. Unless he did it a lot. But no. <laughs> yes. That's the inference. Yes, he's somewhere down the seedier end of the infringement scale, I think. Yes. But, of course, he's not part of the Seven because he's killed about halfway through the episode and in a pretty nasty way. It is, when you think about it, it is pretty gruesome. I mean, yeah, okay, it's the BBC's phone machine. But, really, I mean, that is quite terrifying that he's just trapped in a small enclosed space with his hardening phone. It is, and I can remember when I first saw this as a kid, so I would have been about ten when I first saw this, this scene. Yeah. And just sort of thinking through the implications of, you know, your last few minutes. Uh, firstly, a desperate struggle to try and get out, followed by just this stuff hardening around you and you not being able to breathe. Yeah. It would be, yeah, it's, it's pretty... It is pretty awesome. Pretty full on, yeah. <laughs> um, but look, let's be honest, probably not a bad thing that he dies because he's not the world's best actor, unfortunately. No, no, that's probably true. But, of course, we do meet two others who will have a slightly larger role in proceedings. The first one of which is Kerr Avon. Yes. It's quite quickly established. He is a white-collar criminal. He's obviously highly intelligent. He's quite calculating. He clearly regards the rest of the prisoners as being totally inferior. Yes. Um, as evidenced by the fact he goes and sits by himself you know, at a quiet table. I, I don't think it's ever revealed really what his funny little piece of paper is, but... Well, Darrow wrote a book called Avon, A Terrible Aspect, which is his version of, of how he thinks Avon got on the London, which is at some variance, I think, with, with what we see in The Way Back. But it does make the point that the little piece of paper he has is the schematics of the ship. So, yes. Anyway, but you can read that and discover that for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> if you're game. Yes, if you're game. Avon obviously initially wants really no part of what Blake is doing. He makes a point when the others are standing around him talking, he gets up and moves away. Yes. And he's also very clearly not political. No. There is an initial contrast, obviously, between him and Blake because Avon's planning how he is going to escape, how he can turn this to his advantage, which clearly involves either dumping or killing or something extremely unfriendly to the rest of the prisoners. So essentially his plan is to take advantage of the fact that it's expensive to go all the way to Cygnus Alpha and back. And we should say at this point, clearly the London has to go, and clearly the London is accountable yes, for delivering the, the prisoners. prisoners are supposed to get that. Yeah, and therefore there is a log that, the, the, it's implied the crew can't change, that mm. proves that, yes, they flew to Cygnus Alpha and back. Avon reckons that he can change that log, so they can just spend 15 months sitting on the space beach somewhere. <laughs> 
and pocket all the cash that they'll have to spend otherwise to get there and back. Yes. And he alters the log to make it look like they're fine. Yes. Which, as you say, means he gets away. Yes, but of course the sticking point is, well then how does he then stop them just killing him to cover up the, the fact that he altered the log? Yeah. But you contrast that with Blake. Blake's immediate thing is, okay, I'm going to get all the prisoners and I'm going to take over the ship. Everybody gets out. And interestingly enough though, Blake does find followers. So Nova, Gan, Villa, Jenna, they are all ready to follow Blake. We see him as a leader of men. But it is also very clearly shown that he is not such a rabble riser that everybody wants to follow him. No. You have an army of five, Blake, five and him, but <laughs> uh, being Villa. Yeah, but Blake is very much about, you know, if I'm getting off, everybody is going to come with me. Yes. It's interesting, though, that, again, we made the point about the fact that he is a convicted child molester, mm. regardless of whether the charges are true or not. He has been convicted of, of child molestation. And we made the point it hasn't been mentioned again. The others are really okay with following him. Yes. To a point, you know, whether it's just because he represents their best chance of getting off the ship or it's just, okay, well, we don't have any better ideas, so we'll stick with you. Or perhaps particularly in Nova's case, I wonder if there's a little bit of celebrity worship going on there. You know, he would have grown up with these legends of Rog Blake, the, the big rebel hero. And it's like, oh, wow, I'm on the ship with somebody I've seen on a newscast. Yes, you know, I'm part of his gang. Yeah. You, you notice Jenna clearly, though, is quite happy to follow him. And, and you sort of get the impression the idea of having something other than self-interest yes. really appeals to her. Particularly that, and we're jumping forward a bit, but that scene in the computer room where they're talking about an honest man and whatever. The idea of actually having a cause or something clearly appeals to her. And also it's worth noting that she is someone who was chosen to live outside the Federation system. So by becoming a smuggler, she's gone outside the law, she lives outside of the organisation, she's become a criminal. Whereas Avon is somebody who is otherwise very happy to be a senior member of society. He just wants to be a richer one. Yes. <laughs> Now, we'll probably have to mention the timeline, I think, here, and it'll come up in a couple of episodes, but we then cut to what the script tells us is four months later. Unfortunately, what you see on screen, it really doesn't feel like more than maybe a week or two. No, it's a strength of Blake 7 that Terry Nation particularly does make a point of saying, look, space is big, hmm. really big. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I won't get down the hitchhiker's quote there, but it, it is big, so it takes you time to get there. Uh, you see in later episodes, you know, it takes them 50 hours, 100 hours. Yes. They actually take time to travel. And he's clearly trying to do that here. He's showing that Stingus Alpha is so far away. It's an eight-month voyage each way. But, yeah, as you say, that doesn't really work with the story he wants to tell. So it's good background, but not useful background. If for no other reason than the fact Raker's clearly been holding off on Jenna for four months, which you think probably is perhaps a little unbelievable. <laughs> I yeah. would have thought. But... but I suppose they need to be far enough along their journey for them to be in areas where... Yes, they uh... could encounter the space battle. Yeah. Yes. This really setting up probably the third act of the episode where they suddenly find there's something going on in, in an area that should be total void. And they start getting the shockwaves buffeting the ship from what yeah. they consider to be a space battle. And it also implies that Blake and Avon have basically been ignoring each other for, yes. for, for four months, which, again, isn't quite realistic. No. But, um, look, made that point, we move on. Yeah. So, 
Blake, of course, has been spending the time, obviously, getting to know the workings of the ship. They've presumably been doing things like watching when the guards change over, which guards are probably easier to distract than others, that sort of thing. And when we next see Blake, he is crawling through the crawl space, mm. which we should say, I think, actually, from a production point, I think are actually the very first scenes recorded. I believe so, yes. Yes. And, of course, he's now found where he can get to the computer. He now has a pretty fair idea of the layout of the ship. His plan now hinges on the fact that he has to get Avon involved, which of course, then leads to the scene where, again, they sort of have to play off against each other. Avon clearly knows that Blake is trying to manipulate him, but Blake probably at this point is perhaps offering a better alternative than one Avon has come up with. And we see a really good early example of the dynamic between them in that scene, because when Blake is trying to very gently charm, manipulate, coerce, persuade, Avon doesn't want to be part of it. He's like, don't you dare try and manipulate me. When Blake just says, okay, I need you, mm. and I can't do this without you, everyone's like, right, you've been honest, you've been straightforward, yep. you've said that I'm vital, I'm now in a position of power, I will now engage with you. <laughs> yes. Uh, unfortunately, Blake does sort of make the thing, it will work if you do your bit. When really, Avon is probably the only one who actually does do what he sets out to do. <laughs> That's true. Really, his is the only part of it that actually succeeds. <laughs> that is actually true. The rest of them just fail, but they decide obviously they're going to go ahead with their plan because the fact that the ship is being buffeted by the shockwaves, clearly, you know, the, the crew have obviously got their hands full, etc., so they'll get started. Then Avon goes into the crawl space and he gets to have his little fight scene with the stunt guy, Yep, which is Bill Weston. And not a bad fight because there, Avon doesn't look like someone who's been trained to fight. He's just sort of like trying to sort of gouge the face. And Yes, well, the, the guard sort of tries to sort of fish hook him almost. He gets the thumb in the mouth. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and, you know, and Avon gets out of it by boxing his ears. So, of course, they do go on. The revolution starts after a false start, which is where poor Nova <laughs> gets killed. It is interesting their first thought is that they're going to put Villa in the crawl space after... Avon, mm. which would rob them of their way of distracting the guards, interestingly enough, because if you look, every time they do the guard, you know, Gan sort of stands there big and imposing to block his line of sight. Yeah. And then Villa does his little sleight of hand tricks. But yes, of course, they do succeed in breaking out. I guess we have to call out Villa's moment of stupidity as the prisoners start to make their way through the ship. That is, I think, the weak moment of the episode. There really isn't any other way to, to try and hide it. I mean, he sort of does his, I got confused, but yeah. It's pretty bad. Look, I get that there is probably some intent to emphasise that without Blake to lead them, the rebellion, even in mini form, doesn't really work. You know, clearly the plan was that Blake would be there with them to lead them out of the cell and he would take charge. So that clearly changes when Blake and Jenna separate from the main party to go and find the computer and see yes. what's happened to Avon. Although, and we haven't actually, we've only mentioned Gan once during this. Gan initially shows himself to be quite scary. Yes. And quite competent. Yeah, his little moment of, I only need the hand. Yeah, is, is actually quite frightening, really. He is extremely threatening. He is, and David Jackson, who plays him, pulls it off really well. He does. And then he has his moment. I mean, he's not afraid. The two armed guards come in. As soon as he gets the element of surprise on them, he locks their forearms up. Yeah. And he really has them both at his mercy. Yeah. It doesn't actually say what happened to the initial guard they take out of the room, whether he just gets quietly uh, bumped off, I think, as they... Uh, I suspect it would probably be something unpleasant, given it's a pack of prisoners that yes, are escaping. Yeah. But look, yeah, Gan is introduced here. It's again implied that he's going to be part of the Seven. He Mm. doesn't have any backstory at this point. No. He's just another person in Blake's posse. Yes. Uh, But yeah, a very sinister and imposing one. 
things happen quite quickly from here. The prisoners are quite quickly rounded up, which includes, obviously, we see one of them just being shot, basically, yes. rather than any attempt to restrain him. Yes. Which, again, sort of shows, you know, Leyland, this guard has clearly crossed the line and Leyland has to pull him up. But, of course, he says, well, it was in the, it was in the process of quelling a riot, sir, and yeah. some of our men have been injured. Yes. Which is like, how am I going to deal with this? Leyland clearly doesn't approve, but... Yes. doesn't care that much and you sort of get the feeling that as long as he can put in the log oh well shot while trying to escape oh dear what a shame that clearly he has an out yeah but of course raker then really doubles down on the situation blake and avon and jenner obviously at this point have barricaded themselves in the computer room and control the computer yes there is that exchanging of terms between Leyland and blake blake obviously just wants the prisoners released and he wants all the weapons handed over Leyland is going to blast it, come in and shoot them all. Yeah, and at this point we get to see that very hard edge to Blake, where he is willing to risk the lives of the crew, etc, etc, to get his way, and he doesn't back down at no, first. not at first. Raker then decides, well, he can get them out of there, but he is quite implicit in getting Leyland's buy-in and implicating Leyland in anything that comes next, which is, of course, that he rounds up the prisoners and starts shooting them. Yes, and this again is another example in Blake 7 of demonstrating why this is a society where Blake is justified in what he's doing. Yes. This is nasty, this is oppressive, and their tool of oppression is to just casually murder prisoners. We again sort of get the contrast between Avon and Blake while they're barricaded in the computer room. Blake wants all the prisoners released, and look, I mean, they're obviously going to be the basis of his army to fight back against the Federation, but Avon is still very self-interested. He has identified that, yeah, wealth is his reality and his means of protecting himself from the Federation. If he is incredibly wealthy, he can just set himself up and everyone will have to leave him alone. He can buy protection. I mean, you then have the, the rant about Blake still dreaming and whatever. And, and again, we see, once Raker starts shooting the prisoners, again, we see that a difference. Avon is very clearly, look, this is our only chance. You throw this away, we're screwed. Yeah logically you have to just let this happen whereas Blake obviously can't watch it and forces him to open the door yeah it's a really well done scene it really does set that up I also want to talk about the way that they film what happens in that room with Raker yeah the way that Leslie Schofield plays it there is just complete callousness he's not even lining them up so to speak he's just randomly shooting into the room mm. and getting someone which is really effective I also really like it. it's a tiny little piece there but I like the way that when Ardix comes in and distracts Raker, Villa's clearly working out he's roughly in the line of fire. And you can just see him very, very quietly dip around to the corner of the room and let somebody else be in the line yes. of fire. It's really cleverly done. Yeah, it is. And then, of course, it ends with Raker, well, just on the way out, he'll just shoot one more, just to, again, just to enforce his authority. Yeah. At the end of it, your life, you're in my hand. Yeah, it's really good. Leyland calls Raker out for it, though, but again, not with any real substance, and Leyland basically knows that he's as guilty as Raker is. He didn't pull the trigger, but he approved it. Yes, he did. I mean, whether he sort of made the thing look like a career screwed anyway, so what, what is this really going to do to me? But again, it's that sort of boundaries idea that Raker has finally crossed the line. You know, he has done something in full view of everybody. He has murdered the prisoners, and then he amps it up by saying, well, no, don't take Jenna back and put her in confinement. She and I still have business, which is, okay, I've shot some people now. Clearly, I'm going to rape somebody. Yeah. I'm feeling good about myself today. Layla, again, has to pull him into line. Yes. No, you've, you've crossed the line. You also there get to see a moment of genuine rage from Blake where he goes after Raker, and then Raker gives him a pretty decent gut punch. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, some interesting dynamics going on there. 
I want to really highlight the next scene that we have with the three of them because what's really interesting here is the dynamic between them and it's very much between Jenna and Avon. Jenna is the one that shuts Avon down. Mm. Avon is very cynical about it. And you also get the feeling with Blake in this scene that this is the first time Blake is allowing himself to believe that maybe he's actually going to end up on Cygnus Alpha. Mm. Up until now, it's all, no, I'm coming back. I will find a plan. I'll get out of it. And now he's like, well, it hasn't worked. My options are much, much more limited. And maybe for the first time he's going, maybe the rest of my life is to be spent on Cygnus Alpha. It's interesting with Avon because it's clearly, and again, he calls out, well, he did his bit and what happened? Yes. Your part of it failed. Yes. And probably reinforces that idea for Avon. He says right at the start that, you know, relying on other people is what got him in this mess in the first place. And again, relying on Blake and his crew, well, look how that turned out. Yep, absolutely. It's actually quite a fatalistic streak almost in a way. We had a chance, we blew it, we're screwed. Yep, it's over. Yep, that's it. I'm, I'm now going to Cygnus Alpha. Yeah. And, and I think Jenna is able to push back on Avon because Jenna, I would say, not, not even from the start of the trip, going right back to Jenna being captured and going on trial, you would suspect, she in her mind's known it's going to end up with her on Cygnus Alpha. Mm. So I think Jenna has been at peace with that idea for the whole time. Well, I suppose you have the scene in going back to the way back where she sort of has the emotional moment where the facade drops. You know, I'm not really this hard person. I am actually kind of scared about this and mm. really I don't know what's going to happen to me. But she's also very fatalistic. She yes. doesn't expect to get away. No, no. She's clearly resigned herself to the fact she's going. And I guess maybe that's what attracts her. Blake offers a chance. Yeah, but I think that in Jenna's mind, she's no worse off at that point. Mm. Whereas for Blake and Avon, they both thought they had a chance. Mm. And so they, in their minds, are worse off. Moving on through the episode, Raker and Leyland obviously have to keep working together because they've got another, well, I mean, if you take it in, in scripting terms, they've got another well, at least 12 months where they have to be on the ship together. Yes. And really, I think probably the appearance of the Liberator and the idea that they could salvage this ship gives them the chance to restore their relationship because they're now focusing on something else. And, and you probably get the idea that if they did succeed in putting a skeleton crew on it, they would probably be separated at this point. <laughs> Uh, yes, but again, they'll both be so rich that yes. it's like, well, and, you know and that's what? probably the thing. It doesn't matter what happened 20 minutes ago. We're, we're going to be stinking rich if we can get this ship. And I'll never have to see you ever again. Yes. I'm really going to miss you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and let's face it, we've delivered this ship. No one's going to care what yep. happened. Exactly. Yeah. So they do try to go out and take over the ship and again probably that 70s tech thing you notice like there's no body cameras or anything they're just relying on audio to describe Mm. what they see they get killed raker is very much well look we just keep going until we basically we're all dead or we take this ship over yes who cares that three guys just got killed yes leyland does care he doesn't want his crew to be used no or his crew to be killed but when raker says well what about the prisoners leyland hesitates but he's like well there there is that sort of cop out the world you know we'll look at least we'll have tried to find out what happened to them and that's really Leyland throughout this episode as long as he's got some plausible deniability yes you know some oh well this was my excuse he's happy to break the rules he just basically wants to cover his ass. Pretty much. But Raker, I think, is quite happy to just keep sending people, as long as it's not him. Um, <laughs> he, he, he clearly is quite happy just to keep sending people over there. Yeah. Until he's the only one left. But, of course, they do use the prisoners. 
we now really are now in the, very much in the final act of the episode. Yeah, so let's talk about that moment where you first see the Liberator. Because I mean, that is an iconic moment in the show. It is an iconic image of the show. It is, where they get the scans back up and you suddenly just see this ship hanging in space. And the music swells and everything, so you get this is a big dramatic moment. Look at this amazing ship. Yeah. You then get the moment which is the London pulling up next to the ship. And the London is just dwarfed by this. Yes, thing. this is a massive, really impressive spacecraft. Yeah, it looks good. It looks impressive. I mean, we know they spent basically a year's worth of the budget on making this model. And again, it continues when we get into the set. You know, it's reinforced several times. This is an amazing ship design. It's like nothing anyone's ever seen before. Yeah, and I love that design. It looks like what a futuristic spaceship should look like yes. to me. Gleaming metal, flashing lights. <laughs> but, you know, space, the control panels, big yep. switches. It it looks amazing, this thing. It is, and I, and I guess a shout-out to Roger Murray Leach, the designer, really, for A, the Liberator model. And I guess we should probably put a shout-out to Mountain Bow because the, the initial model, it was actually very basic, and he spent a couple of weeks detailing it and weathering it and doing everything with it. So there is some amazing design work here. There is. We'll talk a bit more about the ship in the next episode yes. when we really start to explore it. We then have the moment, obviously, where Raker realises they're still alive and... I'm going to make sure they're not getting any ideas about staying over there, i.e. taking away my prize money. <laughs> <laughs> or indeed that I've let these prisoners escape. So, of course, he then goes across. Well, there is a bit of a, what appears to be a bit of a continuity failure there, I think, where he shoots and you see Blake fall clutching his shoulder. Now, you actually see the close-up on the gun firing again, but mm. there's clearly no effect for that shot at all. Yeah, so I don't know whether Blake was able to sort of crawl back into the airlock or yes. what, but... But yeah, you're right. And again, Blake is very much, as soon as they realise they're on the ship and they've survived, okay, now, how do we get out of here? Yes. You have two minutes to work out how to make this ship work. We should also talk about the Guardian self-defence yes. device. Yes, we should, actually. Which is an interesting concept in that it uses your memories to trap you and kill you. And the reason why Blake is able to escape is because the device clearly reaches into his mind, finds memories to use but they're the falsely implanted memories. Yes. So he knows they're not real. No, he knows his family to be dead. Or again, the fact that he's had his memory scrambled several times, he can overcome the effect. Yeah, he knows it's a fake memory. So yes. that's why he's able to get rid of it, which is a you know, clever little piece. Yes. We then obviously then have the thing, Avon sees his brother and Jenna sees her mother, which obviously are quite real memories for them. But they escape, they take off from the London. As the Liberator takes off, Raker meets his end. I love the performance and I love the way it's done where Raker suddenly realises what's going on yep. and he's desperately scrambling to get back to the yep. London and can't. That is, <laughs> that is really, really neatly done. And, and again, that whole effect of that tunnel, for what is basically a very simple yeah. uh, piece of it's scenery, quite atmospheric. it's quite atmospheric and it's very cleverly done. Yeah, I really yeah, like it. That, that transfer to you. Yes, of course, Raker is sucked out into the depths of space. But as the ship takes off, we sort of have our final little scene where Blake clearly states his intentions. Jenna is obviously, again, she's quite happy with the fact that they're going to go to Cygnus Alpha and they're going to free the rest of the prisoners. You know, she sort of gives him a little smile and that, that's obviously fine. Blake says, you know, we're going to start fighting back and Avon is like, right. <laughs> you know, he, he is stuck with Blake and, and the fact that he's going to use this as a tool yes. to, to try and strike at the Federation. Cue credits. Cue credits. And knowing, of course, all they've really done at the moment is managed to shut the door. Yes. <laughs> And, and get start. the ship moving, yeah, yes. Yeah. 
So, yeah, look, I I just find this a really cool space adventure. The characters are good. I mean, you know, we, we bigged up Raker and quite rightfully. Yeah. But a lot happens in here. I mean, you get to meet more of the Seven. You get to discover the ship that will later become the Liberator. But at the same time, you get a number of action beats in there. You get the Rebellion. You get the scene in the computer room. You get the exploration of the ship. As we said at the top, there is a lot happening in that 50 minutes. And... Again, a number of characters, and I suspect this comes down to as much Chris Boucher's script editing as Terry Nation's writing, but between them, you get a lot of characters that are quickly established with a couple of lines. Mm. You work out who Artix is really quickly, you work out who Leyland is very quickly. You work out who Gan is with, again, just a couple of lines. Yes, and the fact that he stands there being threatening. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, look, very impressive. A couple of quick notes I did have, uh, sure. just before we jump into our regulars, and one for Australian viewers. When this was first screened here, they actually showed this and the way back, back to back, on the same night. Like I said, debut here is late March 1979. Yes, they showed the way back in Spacefall on the same night. One point I want to make that's very general is we've spoken about the need for the London to go to Signals Alpha and back. Mm. This again goes into our ongoing world building, our ongoing talk about how there is some level of accountability within the administration. There is clearly some bureaucracy or some middle class that needs to know that the prisoners are not being killed. So I suspect that what happens is in the Federation, if you're a low-profile bad criminal, you're just taken out and shot somewhere. Or sent to a labour camp or something. Something, yes. yeah. But if you're a little bit more high-profile that maybe you know, you've been in the news or you've, there's gossip or there's speculation... Mm then they need to have that, oh, no, 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 we're a benevolent society. We don't execute prisoners. We send them off to a penal colony. And so that has to happen. There is an accountability yes. to it. There probably is a discussion to be had around that next episode when we actually see Cygnus Alpha. Yes. But at this stage, I mean, again, they make the point during the episode that they've heard a rumour that the ships don't actually go to Cygnus Alpha. They just get partway there and dump you in space. You would think in a society like the Federation... Cygnus Alpha would be a labour camp or, a, or some form of mining colony or something where you, where you spend the rest of your life working for the good of the Federation. Interestingly, though, when you, we talk about that theory, Blake yes. is clearly a high-profile criminal. Avon, you could imagine being you know newsworthy criminal. Yes. Jenner, it's implied, has a bit of a reputation. Mm. Uh, Villa, maybe to the lesser extent. Gan, depending on what you believe, could be quite notorious. <laughs> Nova, again, what Nova was up to, I don't know. But yes. there is the implication that a number of these people are the sort that the population would have heard of. So there is an accountability to how they end up. That we have to be seen to be doing the right thing. Again, much with that thing in the way back, you know, where Van Glind is... He, he, you know, we have to be seen to help this man. You know, he's had a traumatic experience. We must help him. Yes. You know, help him find justice. So, look, I guess, unless you've got anything else, we probably should go into our regular segments, which will lead off this week. We've mentioned the guest cast numerous times. We, we didn't really mention Mr. Artix very often, so we might spend a moment with him here, who is played by Norman Tipton. I mean, Artix doesn't really have a very large role in this, really. He's very much the junior officer. It's, it's actually stated, I think, in the next episode, spoilers, that this is the first time he's been to Cygnus Alpha. Yes. As I said, he's very much the junior officer. He clearly is ambitious because he doesn't want to stay on rundown old ships. He wants to go to a better posting. From a script point of view, it does no mean that when Leyland or Rake are off doing something, the other one has someone to talk to. Uh, he really is very much the sort of the third member. Actually, Norman Tipton was basically the same time this was going to air. He was appearing in the Doctor Who story Underworld. His career is, well, let's be honest and say, look, he doesn't appear to have had a very long career. 
it, it's basically mid to late seventies. He's in quite a bit of stuff. He's in Yes Minister. He's in Shoestring. He's, he's in some quite well-known series. But yeah, I think once we sort of get into the early eighties, he hasn't really had a breakout moment and doesn't no, get along. And clearly, then obviously moves on to to do something else. Yeah. But our two main guest roles are Glyn Owen as Leyland. He had a large ongoing role for, for those who watched Howard's Way, where he was the owner of the shipyard and constantly in conflict with Morris Colburn. <laughs> he really perhaps is more of a jobbing actor, I think, maybe. But he has roles from the late 50s, really onwards. He's in stuff like Coronation Street, he's in The Brothers, he's in Dixon Dock Green. So it's a, a really quite well-known series. I mean, they're mainly sort of you know one or two roles. They're not really recurring parts. Um, he's in Survivors, he's in The Sweeney. He is, of course, also in The Power of Kroll yes. uh, for Doctor Who fans. Yes. <laughs> and quite good, isn't it? Yes, he is. Rom Dutt. <laughs> but, uh, of course, really our main cast member for this, or main guest cast member for this week is Leslie Schofield, who was around really since the late 60s. And again, he's very much that sort of jobbing actor who appears in a lot of series. He's in Dixon of Doc Green, he's in Out of the Unknown, he's in New Scotland Yard, he's got a couple of appearances in Softly Softly, he's in the Aneedon line. Minder, The Bill, he's got a role in Coronation Street. Probably his only long-term role, he's got a three-year run in EastEnders. At this point, though, he probably gets a couple of his big genre credits. He'd been in The Face of Evil, again in Doctor Who. He'd been in an earlier story, he was in the War Games in the 60s, in an episode. But, of course, he's in Star Wars. Yes. He is the chap, for anyone who's looking for him, he's the chap near the end of the movie who comes up to Peter Cushing and says... We've analysed their attack, sir, and there is a danger. Should I have your ship standing by? Yes. And, and of course get slapped down. Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. And the fact actually that he's in those scenes in Star Wars means he also gets to be in the holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the Empire footage in that is recycled straight out of Star Wars. But yeah, he again has had a very long career. And you can certainly see on the basis of this performance why that would be. Yeah. Now there is one other one I, I was going to pull out. And look, he doesn't have a speaking part. But he plays one of the guards. It's a chap called Harry Fielder. He's the guard that Gan threatens when they're trying to get out of the room. He was a professional extra and bit part actor. He has a simply staggering number of appearances. We're talking several hundred credits. I mean, look, most of them are uncredited, but he's in a huge range of stuff. Pretty much a very high percentage of, of TV series and film made in Britain, probably from about the late 60s through to about the late 90s. He's in there somewhere. Yeah. He's in a lot of Hammer stuff. He's in a large number of the Carry On movies. He's got multiple appearances in many really well-known series. He's actually in about 10 episodes of Blake 7. I think most of the time he's under a Federation Troopers helmet. He also actually is in Star Wars. Again, he, he, again, it's just an extra. He's one of the two guys who accompanied Darth Vader into the cell when they're going in to interrogate Princess Leia. Oh, wow. Yeah, if you look at his website where he lists some of his stuff, he has got a phenomenal list of credits. Nice to see him. Our next segment is the Liberator Database, where we continue to build up the world of Blake 7. So yes. here, obviously, we need to highlight stuff we've talked about, but the introduction of Gan, the introduction of Avon especially, and the first appearance of what will become the Liberator and the Liberator flight deck. Plus, of course, we solidify the fact that Jenner and Villa are clearly now going to be an ongoing part of the story. Yes, and we also do more establishing of the world of the Federation, and that this is a big, expansive galaxy yes. in which all this is happening. yes. We also get some tech stuff. We're told, and, and time distort is the Federation's measurement of speed. We're told that the London is travelling at time distort five. Yes. Another point to make here is that when they encounter the space battle, they very clearly say they're not Federation ships, that's not our battle, which does 
make quite clear something that is sometimes vague in the series, that there are non-Federation things out there and happening. The, the series does tend to gloss over that a bit. Again, we're probably getting a bit ahead of ourselves, but you're right, that's not something the series is at pains to specify. But it's not a big deal for them to go, well, that's somebody else. And, and we should steer clear of it. There is some more stuff that comes out of this that I think we're going to expand on next time in Cygnus Alpha, because a lot of it does link back. Yes, it does. Look, it was the 1970s. The first night I had here, where they're talking about Avon and how he comes to be on the London, it's clearly meant to be £5 million as a parallel. was obviously a very large sum of money in 1977, whereas now someone's stealing £5 million. I mean, yeah, okay, it'd be newsworthy, but it's not crime of the century. Yes. And Avon himself, he wants to steal 100 million credits, which would be a colossal amount of money if you put that in pound terms. It's interesting to note the way that Raker is portrayed, particularly the implied sexual assault, if not rape of Jenna, is put out there very, very directly. It's never actually said, but the implication is incredibly strong. I don't know how a modern series would handle that, whether they would be as upfront as Blake Seven was. A free-to-wear series would probably struggle with it. I think something... I mean, look, you've got stuff like Game of Thrones and that that dials up the nastiness. Yeah, so that cable stuff, that Netflix-style stuff. Yes. I think we're now seeing that stuff come back again. Yes. But free-to-wear for the last 20, 30 years, I don't think would have done that. No, you would struggle with that. It's interesting, and perhaps it's projecting onto the perceived gap in the story. It's interesting none of the prisoners clearly try it on with her. Or if they do, they're obviously very quickly dealt with. Yes, which implies... Well, well, I think it is made fairly clear that Jenna can take care of herself. Yes. I also suspect that her quickly falling in with Blake, Villa, Gan... Gan, probably, particularly. Yeah, is a way to give herself a little bit of reassurance. Yes. And I also just want to make mention of the computer, which is, a, I think, a really good set, and I love the way that Avon mm. deals with stuff. And they've clearly worked out how he damages circuits and opens stuff, but it is very much a, you break the computer by breaking the circuits it's i mean blake seven really uh, it's obviously pre-software revolution so yes everything is very hardware based yeah and we'll talk more about that particularly across season one but yeah just to note there the idea that the computer is a big physical thing inside a room you go to very well done i like i love the layout of that room Mm. but it is very 1970s conceptual it it is now of course because we've met avon we can now introduce our segment what cool lines did chris boucher give avon this week I'm going to pick the scene where they're back in confinement and he does his what a fiasco speech. (laughs) Because as we said during the episode, his part of the breakout is actually the only part of it that goes as it should. Yeah, look, that's a really good scene. I I was going to pick it, but otherwise I'm going to go for his scene in the computer room where he says they have the same chance that all of us have, particularly because it leads to Blake then having his you don't really believe that. And you suspect that Avon doesn't believe that, but he doesn't care. Avon's view is very clearly... It's okay to have every man for himself because I'm the best place of those men, so I'm the best chance of getting away. Yes, well, that's true. He obviously feels himself to be superior to everybody else, so, of course, yes, he can be every man for himself because I'm the best man. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So this leads to our final segment, which is where we call for our Player of the Week this week. Now, I'm guessing we might have a snap here. I've actually got two. My sort of honourable mention, which is to Roger Murray Leach and the designers for the Liberator and the Flight Deck, which I think, as we said, are amazing designs. Yeah. But no, look, my player of the week really has to be Raker. Mine too. Yes, I think that is so well played. I mean, Raker is an absolute bastard, and he is a convincingly played bastard. Yeah, and that's the key, once again, 
we highlighted this in the way back. We're highlighting it again here. Raker played over the top mm. or arch or, you know, cynically would just not work. The fact that he's played so well here holds this whole episode together. And you absolutely believe in this guy. Yeah, you do. And also, though, a rational bastard. Mm. Like, everything he's done is very calculated. It's very careful. He knows when he can push the boundaries and how, but doesn't push them too far. Yes. He also gets, you know, again, tiny little details, but the whole, I'll throw the weapons into the airlock after you're there. It's a tiny little detail, but it just makes you feel this is a real guy thinking about the implications and the ramifications. Before we go, we just want to say that, obviously, our first episode launched a fortnight ago, and the reception to that, both in terms of downloads and in feedback, has been, I've got to say, really, really good. It's very pleasing. Yeah, really happy and... It's been very nice to have some of the things people have said about us. Hmm. Could we give a particular shout-out to some of the Twitter feeds? And if I miss any of you, I promise we will get to you at some point in the episodes. We've got 52 <laughs> of these to do. Very much to the Prog to Who podcast, who has been very supportive all the way through. Good podcast, check them out. Shout-out to the Crinoid podcast as well. Thank you for what you've been doing. As always, to Making Black 7, the Twitter feed, which has been very supportive and, as we said in our episode zero, a very, very good Twitter feed worth checking out. Uh, right. Most definitely. A shout out to The Geek's Handbag on Twitter and to Hoovin Leap on Twitter and to Doctor Who Planet on Twitter, who again have all been very supportive in retweeting us and we appreciate you for it. Thanks very much. So we've now had two episodes that we've really thoroughly enjoyed. We've got Cygnus Alpha in two weeks' time. <laughs> that, I think, there's a huge amount to unpack well, in well, that Cygnus one. Alpha and Brian, blessed. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, there's a huge amount to unpack in Cygnus Alpha. I'm actually, I've often identified Cygnus Alpha as a weak episode, but I'm really looking forward to going back and looking at it again the way we are. I think there's going to be yes, a lot to unpack. I, I have actually, I'll be honest and say it's been quite a while since I've watched Cygnus Alpha, so yeah, I am actually quite looking forward to seeing how I go with it this time. And we hope that you'll join us for that one in two weeks' time. So I've been Dave. I've been Richard. And now let's set a course for Cygnus Alpha. Thank you for listening to Spacefall, a Blake 7 podcast, recorded in Australia by David Kitchen and Richard Nolan. If you enjoy our chat, please subscribe and leave a review. We can be contacted by email via spacefallpc at gmail.com. We can also be found online at facebook.com slash spacefallpc and on Twitter at spacefallpc. Richard and Dave also co-host the Goodies Pirate podcast, and Dave co-hosts the Doctor Who show podcast, on which Richard also appears from time to time. We'll be back in a fortnight with more Blake 7. With a ship like this and a full crew, then we can start fighting back.